the reason that people feel risky is they don't have enough knowledge for preventing all these risks yet. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Kevin, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here today because you are a very knowledgeable individual and we are going to be talking about something that has a bit of controversy in the market and that's around cryptocurrency, but we're going to be focusing on green cryptocurrency. So before we dive into the specifics of that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your professional journey. So please, Kevin, walk our audience through where you started and where you are now. Okay. Yep. Thank you very much too for having me giving this conversation. I always like to share the knowledge of uh, and experience of blockchain because uh, for blockchain itself, the philosophy is about sharing. So it's about consensus. And uh, I've been in this industry for long enough uh, since year 2014. And uh, I started with a mining business, which is uh, like a very common starting point for people merging themselves from the traditional business to the uh, uh, blockchain or cryptocurrency business. So uh, yeah, the, uh, I was attracted by the uh, white paper of Bitcoin, right? I found uh, the actually aim to solve the core problem or issues of human society, which is the trust issue. And uh, I believe all, most of our, our uh, uh, common expenditure in the government or in the organizations is always to solve this issue. And I believe with this kind of system, we can reduce a lot of cost on the uh, solving the problem of uh, trust, also become very efficient. Uh, so where am I now? So I was a miner. So I was with few friends. We had a mining company in China. We even involved in the investments of uh, like Bitmain and, and all these major manufacturers of uh, Bitcoin miners. And uh, then later on, because we have quite a, uh, reserve in Bitcoin at that time. So we become investors, uh, like friends from the Garage Coffee that in Beijing, they, they always have uh, bringing uh, nice ideas for the future, for what we're going to do for blockchain, using blockchain as the tool, as the media, actually to benefit people more in fairness and transparency. Later on, I, I merged myself from a miner to an investor. And up until today, I'm still a venture capitalist. And also to the day I'm at the point I'm trying to merge the traditional finance industry more towards to uh, cryptocurrency uh, uh, finance and vice versa as well. Because uh, I always claim myself as a missionary of blockchain technology and philosophies. And I'm seeing this uh, evolution in last uh, almost 10 years of my journey. It's just so exciting. The funny thing is, uh, in year 2014, when I'm talking about uh, Bitcoin to friends or introduce this idea to people, they always said, Kevin, you're very well educated. You're smart. Why don't you find uh, a decent job instead of uh, you know, spreading this sort of uh, sounds like a, a pyramid scam? But today, if we talk about Bitcoin or all or, or these uh, major tokens and people go like, wow, you're very innovative. Can you teach me and can you tell me about it? So it's a big change in people's recognition in, in this industry. But however, because the uh, 
social influence, uh, you know, the, uh, the public exposure of this industry actually give most of the people a wrong indication. People feel like in this industry, it's just full of money to be made. That's where there's lots of people running into like uh, scam traps. Also invest, investment goes to something that which is not really worth anything. So lots and lots of money. So I think it's my duty to actually give people a, a more clear and right understanding of the industry as well as the cryptocurrency. Wow, that's excellent. I uh, I like that you're saying that you obviously can invest and you're interested in it because I think there's still people are still quite apprehensive about this space. Now, it's probably because it's new and people don't really understand it and they're dubious of it. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on today to maybe demystify a lot of theories or philosophies people have. And so when we get into cryptocurrencies, now, obviously, crypto uses like a lot of electricity, right? Now, depends on who you are. Some people are really for crypto. A lot of people don't like it because it is bad for the environment, right? But I want to discuss with you today green cryptocurrency so i want to be i want to know what it is and then what are you guys then doing about this in the space sure okay the green idea i always have because as i mentioned i entered this uh, industry uh, as a miner so we know how much consumption of the electricity for the current uh, algorithm that bitcoin or ethereum has okay i'll give you a, a quite uh, you know decent uh, uh, example of how much electricity for a scale of uh, 10,000 kilowatts, okay? 10,000 kilowatts of the every hour of usage of, of, of electricity can facilitate about uh, 6,000 machines today, all right? But 10,000 kilowatts per hour is actually a, a energy to support a, a city with 1 million people. So you know how much power is actually consumed, right? When well, we're not talking about numbers, but one million people in the city probably spend 10,000 kilowatts per hour. But one mining site, not a big one, only 6,000 machines can consume as much as the same. So Kevin, can I, just, can I just interrupt there? How are people okay with that? Those are large numbers. And with everything that's going on in, you know, across the world with global warming and how, you know, how much electricity is costing, and I, I mean, I probably already know the answer to this, but does that not concern the average person or do you think people just don't care? Because that's pretty high numbers. Okay. First of all, the, the idea of using those powers is to use surplus powers, which is like those hydro plants, especially like the season uh, today, right? In China, it's, a, it's the peak season of uh, hydro plants. And there's lots of surplus in production and they have to actually diffuse it to spend money to diffuse those those uh, electricity, otherwise it's just you know the the grid is not going to buy that much. So that was the original idea of mining in in the uh, in China or in most of the hydraulic uh, power plants. So people wouldn't feel it for that season. But however, during winter time, okay, we have to go to the place with uh, coal generated powers which is uh, northern territory of China or, or, or countries like Kazakhstan and, and those places, even Iceland. Wow, that's... Uh... Okay, I see your point. So... Yeah, I think uh, I didn't touch the why, what's really means by green, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Let's go back to the green side of it now. Okay, so on the green side, okay, we know that 
in the city of Melbourne, right? We light up the city at night. Even people's not using all the build, most of the buildings has the lights on, just give the beautiful view of the city. However, it's a waste of energy. Basically, it's not no not really practical usage for it, but it brings the value of you know the look of the uh, of the city, which means those electricities spend it for some useful purposes. But however, in Bitcoin or Ether mining, those POW minings, okay, the reason the machine is consuming that much power, it's only for one reason. It's for those computers to be online. All these calculations they are doing is actually worth nothing. It's only because there's competition in mining, see, which machine gets more or which machine gets the reward of, of, uh, of the mining outcome, which is Bitcoin or, or Ether, right? So they have to keep calculating. And all these uh, decryption of this calculation become harder and harder. Just make sure all these machines keep up upgrading themselves in hardware. So basically, it actually leads to another waste on the hardware as well. So in my understanding, if we can put, first of all, we have to put those powers usage into something that really benefits the society, right? So today's blockchain, they don't have anything we call uh, uh, the, the, the function of storage. So you cannot store data in the blockchain. And the blockchain information, which is only ledger data, are very small. So first thing we think that if we can actually store data into the blockchain, we'll make those power which consumed by the miners become useful. So that's the first point for become greener. And second point to be greener, of course, to reduce the cost of, uh, of the electricity for each machine. To do that, we have to change the whole algorithm. Like before POW, it's a proof of work, right? The algorithm is actually keep evolving the difficulty for people to compete on getting rewards on Bitcoin or on Ether. But the idea was actually have everyone else, in the beginning, it's like, most of the people will have their own laptop or their PCs to mine Bitcoin. It has the, the genuine purpose of decentralization. So for example, if we have our servers or storage computers in our office, if the office has fire or anything going on, right, we lost our data. So we have probably have a, another backup data center to back up that, but that's about it. Normally, let's say Amazon, they have like three layers of storage. First is the the uh, the storage for for people interface, like people can download, upload very quickly. The second is the secondary uh, uh, backup. So let's say they, they backup all this data every 24 hours or or 48 hours or a week to this secondary backup data center. Then there is a disaster backup center, which the third one, which you know, maybe updating the information quite you know not not in a high frequency, but still for the safety of the data. But the point is, if all these three layers of, of storage is destroyed, so we lost our data, the safety of the network is not there. In blockchain, we used every, the idea was use every individual people's computer to actually performing the mining, storing the data, which means if some computer, let's say one country, let's say uh, China, they were banned mining, right? Or banned cryptocurrency. But the ledger of all this cryptocurrency on blockchain is still existing because the rest of the world, people still having those data in their computer or in their miners. However, when we talk about today's mining scale, like putting hundreds and thousands of machines in one spot, it's actually against the original idea of decentralization. So to be green, 
we should develop a different algorithm can provide storage, which is real, right? For real usage, we don't have to go through, go to Amazon or Google Cloud. We can use those decentralized cloud. Secondly, we will actually limit the IP address for each miner, right? So one IP re represents one household. If you want to get 10, 10 IPs in your home, you have to have 10 connections, which is cost you too much. So one IP only allows one miner that also the miner will work more like a, a router, which doesn't really consume much power. So if we have this all sorted out, so we make the power efficiency much, much better. So we spend uh, probably 1% of the power as compared to today's mining facilities. And also that 1% of power, we make it in the real use, we can store data, right? So in other words, if the IDCs, the big IDCs that actually consuming power because they have the business, they have people storing data there. Now we change into somewhere else, like decentralized into every household. So those powers also will be reduced, but will be reduced from the IDC as well. So that's the basic concept of the green idea. How far away, I mean, is the government going to regulate this? I mean, it's hard to say because like crypto is not really regulated yet, but I mean, I'm just looking at it. I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate right now with everything that's going on in the world, uh, you know, they're now talking about moving to electric cars by X date and, you know, solar solar panels and all these things. What's going to happen? Is the government going to regulate it? Because I definitely hear what you're saying. That's a lot of electricity to use up to mine one Bitcoin. I think, what is it? The uh, I think the uh, stat was 138,000 hours or... or of YouTube or 1.2 million visa transactions to mine one Bitcoin. Like that's substantial. So will it become regulated or do you think that, I mean, I understand that you guys are sort of pioneering this green cryptocurrency, but what are your sort of thoughts around how is this going to unfold? Oh, well, there are always a conflict in between, uh, you know, well-being and the society norms to the actual business world with real benefits. So if we're, uh, we're in a country with open market, right? The uh, supplier of electricity, they're always looking for profit. As long as they, if, uh, you know, the people using it to either to, to, to mine Bitcoin or, or to, to farm, to do anything else, to the, to the supplier of electricity, they, they make no difference to them, right? Which one gives them higher profit? So they will probably sell to some, to the, to the people. So, of course, the government is trying to regulate it, but it really depends on what form of government. It's going to be very difficult. Instead, we're trying to solve the problem from the, from the uh, basic, which is probably change the algorithm. So if the uh, activity itself doesn't cost that much electricity, that could be the, the, the best solution to actually benefit both sides. Got you. Okay. So just pressing on that point a little bit more, as I alluded to, 138,762 hours was the exact number. And as I've touched on multiple times in this interview, it's not good for the environment. And you and your team are obviously finding new ways to reduce that. But how much do you believe that this will be reduced by, even percentage, hypothetically? Okay. I will say if we use the uh, um, the uh, solution and make the size of the miner like a router, 
we'll reduce more than 95% of electricity that currently actually spend it on. But it needs uh, a time for people to adopt that because see all these blockchains like Bitcoin blockchains or Ether blockchains, okay, they have a huge amount of assets as actually link or, or actually built on this kind of uh, value system. So people always have a concern to change into new things, right? Safety is always the, the first issue in finance industry, also in crypto industry. But I believe because it's open source, yeah, I think you, you understand, right? All these blockchain uh, projects, the coding is all open source. So if we're confident enough to put our uh, coding for the new algorithm open sourcely, and people will actually come to assist, criticize, and doing uh, additional patches on it. So after all, it's everyone's blockchain. And I believe that's always the safest way to do it. So if we announce this idea of uh, green blockchain and keep promoting it, I will have an estimation of about three to four years that people adopting this kind of green algorithm. And I believe most of the uh, uh, blockchain development team will adopt this algorithm as well, because that's where it gets welcomed by the by by the you know general public. So when you say three to four years, how do you sort of arrive at that number? Is that based on what you're seeing, some of the research you've done? Is it based on assumptions? Is it based on projections? To have uh, this is actually based on the theories of uh, uh, consensus growing. So it normally takes about uh, ten thousand hours. Okay, for people to believe and to be comfortable with a new set of rules or new kind of technology. Let's look at all this uh, instant messaging. I believe WhatsApp was out in in market in year 2009, but WhatsApp become very popular stuff. You know, you can hear all this on about year 2013, 14. All right. So that's where I get this uh, estimation. Yeah, and like anything, it does take a while for adoption and then mass adoption for something like WhatsApp or cryptocurrencies to become ubiquitous. But I guess really that coming back to the green crypto, and I'm sorry to keep bringing it up, I just I was very curious about it because do you believe that people who have historically been in the crypto space care about green, green cryptocurrency? or Because I'm just... I'm trying to understand the motivation because, like you sort of said earlier, sometimes when we're doing things, of course, there's always a price to doing business there, whether that's financially, but then that could potentially be environmentally. And this, you know, this is an environmental problem. So I'm just curious to know, like, the motivation on the people who are sort of your early crypto adopters. Would they care for this? Or do you think there's only select people like yourself that care around? Uh, you know, and foster the green cryptocurrency belief? I believe, okay, not much, not many people that actually really care about this. The motivation of this, there's, I think you can, you can define in two categories, okay? So the first category is the people who worry about the, uh, the future of blockchain, right? If the, the blockchain is really against the uh, total, you know, carbon reduction or this environmental thoughts, which is a common sense. It's a common consensus of the global, right? So if a technology is going against the whole human race, of course, this te- technology will not go far, right? So this is the category that people who's really in love with blockchain and 
wants to make a change, make sure we're actually benefiting society, human society, not hurting it. So in order to have longer and sustainable life cycle for blockchain technology. So that's the first category. Most of the people will fall into the second category, which is that we're about the market. Let's see if all the countries, because of environmental issues, banning mining, most of the people, of course, the governments and the, the, uh, the jurisdictions, they have much bigger noises to announce to the world. And uh, this is the trend. And this is uh, blockchain is actually damage our, our environment. So long-termly, the market, the profit would not be there. That's why this group of people will think green, it is essential because for the future growth of the market, which related to their, their personal benefits. Gotcha. Okay. So I'd like to now explore the cybersecurity concerns when it does come to Bitcoin and crypto. What are your sort of thoughts? Oh, I think um, cybersecurity on, on blockchain is not that scary. I think most of the, uh, the medias or even the government entities is actually overreacted on the risk on blockchain. In some way, I think blockchain is safer than the current centralized system. For example, for, for the transparency, right? For the track of the funds, it's so easy to check. Anyone can log into Bitcoin.io or blockchain.io to actually check the, uh, the Bitcoin transactions from the beginning until today. So the record is always there. But the only issue is that cryptocurrency can be transferred you know, without KYC. That's the only issue. But if I break this all down, okay, let's see. Most of the country has difficulty of managing crypto exchanges, right? That's why lots of uh, countries are hesitating to issue uh, crypto exchange license. But what's the real difference in between crypto exchange and uh, normal stock and share exchange? Can you can you tell me what's the difference? Look, I'm not a finance person, so I don't I don't think I'm the best person to answer that. So when we treat stock and shares, right? We're buying in in a lower price, we're selling a higher price. That's ideal. We make our money, we go, right? We don't, we don't withdraw our, our shares into our wallet. We only withdraw the money we make or we lost. So on the cryptocurrency exchange side, basically it does the same thing. But only difference is you can withdraw your Bitcoin. You can withdraw your Ether. You can withdraw your, your poker dot, right? So that's the only difference in between crypto exchange and uh, normal stock and share exchange. So... In this case, if we wanted to avoid the risk, it's so simple, right? People, most 99% people come to trade in cryptocurrencies. They just want to make money, like the people who's trading stock and shares. They don't mind if they don't withdraw their Bitcoin or Ether, as long as they can withdraw their cash. They make the money, they're going to spend the cash. So the solution is, if, uh, let's say, Australia will, will actually run a national-owned stock and, uh, crypto exchange like you know ASX. The only thing they, 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 they do is, okay, stop people withdraw their, their cryptocurrencies. They can come in with cash, all crypto, but withdraw only cash, right? That facilitates most of the people's needs and there's no additional risk for, for the uh, jurisdiction. They just manage it as normal stock and share exchange. So you made a comment before that the media overreacted. What do you mean specifically though when you say that? The overreacting is because the, uh, the, the feature of uh, anonymous, 
right? You don't know where, where the money goes. I mean, you know where it goes, but you don't know who's actually taking it behind it. And also you're seeing people lost their asset from their crypto wallet, have no way to get it back. That's the risk. But however, if you understand this way, you'll find this risk is not there, right? If you want to go to a centralized exchange or centralized wallet, just work as a bank. If you lose your username and password, you can always call the service provider to give it back as now you can prove yourself, right? The only thing that people lose their asset cannot get back is using decentralized wallet, which, which means that on the, on the first hand, you want to have the total control of your asset. So you have that, those private key to actually access the wallet, right? If you lost the private key, no one knows it. So once you want to have 100% ownership or, or management of your asset, you lose the safety of centralization that can retrieve, retrieve your password for you. Okay, that's a trade, right? We know this word is fair. If you want to get something, you, have, you must lose something. But if you don't like have that risk, go use a centralized exchange, go use a centralized wallet, it'll be no issue. It's not just like you use a bank. I hear your point. And I guess I, I do understand what you're saying in terms of if you want to gain something, you have to be prepared to lose something. But maybe that's why people aren't super into it right now because they don't want to lose stuff. There is no regulation. So, for example, uh, if I thought I was trading my Bitcoin and it was going to you but it went to someone else, that's a problem. I can't. There's no way of retrieving it. There's no way of getting it back. That's it. It's gone. It's done. It's dusted. So, mate, do you think that that is the reason why people are a bit afraid? First of all, using the decentralization, okay, people think that makes sense. But, however... For the current living habits and uh, experiences, most of the people don't need decentralization yet. Okay, so that's why people are actually taking the risk to exchange something that they're not necessarily needed yet. When you say taking the risk, um, it's probably still quite a small percentage, though, right? And so back to your calculation before around three to four year adoption. How quickly do you think that that'll start sort of spreading? Because, I mean, if we start to say, okay, let's say 5% of people, for example, arbitrary numbers, are prepared to take that risk. What about the rest of the 95? And how quickly will that 95 then roll out over three or four years to get that ubiquity in the market? So this really depends on current banking system. We know that, uh, see, now I think you heard the news in China. There's uh, some banks that they, they, they cannot facilitate cash withdrawal anymore, right? And people now think, oh, banks still have risk. You know, my money's in the bank, but now I cannot get it, right? So if this is things keep happening, people will merge into crypto more, right? Because that's where you can control your own value or your own asset. And plus. In today's, uh, let's see, in, in UK, US, or even in UAE, Dubai, okay, the, the transactions in between people to people from a bank become more and more difficult, right? They ask a lot of questions, of course, for KYC, for ML purposes, but it really affects people's convenience, right? You have, probably have to disclose if you transfer a quite large amount, you have to disclose lots of paperwork to prove that the funds is going, you get the funds in a proper way and you transfer to a proper place, okay? So if the traditional banking service keep getting harder and harder for people to use, and there'll be more people to move themselves to the crypto side. I get that. 
But I guess my question probably more so is, I mean, I, I used to work in a bank, so I, understand, I used to work in security in a bank. My question would be then, and I get what you're saying, it's an inconvenience and everyone's all about convenience and doing it quickly, but don't you think if there's not a lot of questions and not a lot of sort of due diligence, which is what crypto provides, it's almost a breeding ground for criminal activity though? Yep, it is. I mean, anything, any new technology, even let's say uh, the uh, uh, atomic energy, right? Well, the purpose was for 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 provide cleaner and the more efficient and uh, uh, power for, for 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 people. But now they're used as a weapon, right? So technology itself is neutral. The reason that people feel risky is they don't have enough knowledge for preventing all these risks yet. It's like if people never seeing a gun, you lightly pull a trigger and you hurt someone. But when the gun has been there for like two hundred years, right? People know oh, there's a safety switch. You don't point at people. So once you know the procedure of safely handle a gun, gun is not risky. It's the same thing because blockchain technology is new. It's from a, uh, it's actually a big revolution from a centralization to decentralization. The way of thinking, what is fundamentals, has to change, has to be learned, has to be experienced. Right? Once people are get used to the majority of people get used to how to safely use a crypto wallet, it becomes no issue. Yeah, I guess it's just people, I guess there's just a lot of risk then put back on people. So, for example, uh, if, and it was recently my business credit card, I don't know, credit card number was obviously stolen from somewhere, a whole bunch of money was taken out, fine, call the bank, it instantly gets put back. That doesn't happen, though, in crypto land. Too bad, so sad. That's That's basically what happens. That's a risk. And I would say in today's day and age, with what's happening now in the market of inflation and at the moment, I think it's going to be really hard to get people to risk even more than what they're already risking. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But however, uh, I have uh, my point is, let's see, the risk is only scary if you're not aware of it, right? You know there's a risk out there, but you cannot specifically say what is the risk. I can... If this is you, the, the example you just given by your credit card details being stolen and being spent by someone else, and you can retrieve it back, that's the whole thing. But in actually, in crypto world, you can retrieve it back too. How do you retrieve it back? Let's see. Today's uh, value, we're all based on uh, uh, dollars. In Australia, we're based on Australian dollars. In, in US, we're based on US dollars. Or in, in, in another country. If international trading, most of them are based on US dollar values, right? So which means doesn't matter how much money that you gain from a crypto, right? You, after all, you still have to cash out to spend, right? You, can, you can't go there. Most of the places you can go, there, I'll give you a Bitcoin. You give me some meal. You can't do it. So when we talk about this, it's like because the track of the transaction is so clear on blockchain, right? It will go to a centralized uh, entity to actually cash it out. To spend there where this is where you actually get the people who's actually stolen these tokens right you can track every step down let's see this transaction being five times then goes to binance and exchange it to australian dollars okay in binance they will have this user who's exchanged this this crypto into into fair currency have his kyc right so the police can ask him where did you get this token from oh I actually swapped it with someone else or I exchanged it in, in another exchange or decentralized exchange, okay? So basically this is can, uh, the, the stolen 
asset is stolen uh, crypto is definitely defined, then the money is there. The cash is with this, this person who's actually OTC or, or exchanged. The money is there. You can get it back. No problem. And plus, blockchain is working as a ledger. If you think it is a ledger book, you have flip, flipping pages, right? It was happening in Ethereum. Ethereum DAO got stolen, I think 400,000 something Ether, all right? They actually flipped back the ledger, which means they, they said, okay, all these records, all these transactions happened after this stolen period. It's, it's no longer valid. We will flip back the ledger to the point where the stolen never happened. But who demands that though? So I, I understand that and how the ledger works. It's just more so who who can demand it to say, for example, I was supposed to send Bitcoin to you, but it went to someone else. Who then facilitates that? Who is controlling that conversation? I think it really depends how big the amount is. Uh, first of all, like, you know, USDT, right? USDT uh, issued um, um, on Ethereum chains and um, TRX chains or, and a few other chains, okay? Actually, on Ether, if the FBI talks to the dev team of uh, Ethereum, they, ha- they, they can actually stop a transaction and freeze those tokens in, in address too. Okay, but what if? But the thing is, if I just say I just say someone was impersonating you, and I thought it was you, and I went sent it to your wallet, and it wasn't you, which happens, and I was scammed out of it. By that stage, it's too late then. So if it's gone to the other Kevin when I thought I was giving it to you, what then happens? How do I go and try to retrieve that back? Uh, to me, it's always a cost and uh, a return. Okay. Yes, to build a system that which you can retrieve all these tokens, it is still possible. It de- you have to go through a third-party transaction hub that will make things possible. So I believe if the demand is there, the technology will actually develop to suit that kind of demand because that's the uh, you know the, the 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 market logic. So what you're saying is if I was transferring it to you and someone else was pretending to be you and it went to another Kevin. I can then go and leverage a third party company to say, actually, I was scammed out of my Bitcoin. It didn't go to Kevin Chen. It went to another Kevin. Can you go and find it for me? Yes. Yes. As long as you go to a third party hub. But you have to pay for that? It's not. You pay for it. Okay. If the demand there, there will be a service provider to provide that. Of course, it will cost them. But if they look at the the, uh, the demand on the returns, it's it's if it's good enough for them to develop that, the business will be there. It's not necessarily the person who's paying for it. So is that in play at the moment? Partially, yes. What do you mean by partially, though? Okay, okay, okay. Partially means that if you you really want to do decentralized exchange swapping or transferring, right? That's not used. But if you use, but some a lot of people using a Binance wallet or any other centralized wallet uh, uh, providers, right? Those people will actually help you to retrieve your things. And let's say today you wanted to, to transfer some money to someone you don't know, right? And you said, oh, you must have the wallet address belongs to Binance. Then I can transfer because Binance will know his KYC. Once you just say that, right? Binance become the hub, right? Become the service provider to give you the same experience as you transfer money to a bank. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do hear what you're saying. There's always there always is that risk, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It really depends on which way you go, how much knowledge you have, right? 
See, if I want to do some shady trading, I don't want people to know me, and I don't want who the person who's accepting my money to be to be exposed to me either. So I probably use a decentralized transaction, right? And that time I know the risk. Okay, I probably say, oh, I will transfer one dollar. Say, oh, you received it, then I will actually transfer the risk of money. That's even for me as an old blockchainer, I do things like this, right? But if I, it's an open trading, you know, it's something that I don't care anyone else to know that I, I actually trade with this person. I'll ask, oh, please give me a centralized wallet address. Just in case that you don't, you don't give me things that I, I wanted to, to get from you by transferring you the money. Of course, if the, this person is not going to scam you or take the money and run, he will provide that. Because it's nothing hurting him either. Yeah, I yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying. It's just more so how do you avoid being scammed? Because people get scammed all the time. Like, I mean, I've interviewed multiple people about crypto scams, for example, and it's a real thing. So I'm just I'm just, I'm just curious to know, like, you can't. It's hard to avoid that at the moment, and then there is no real way of. Yes, you you sort of alluded to it, but there is still no regulation. There's no. I know for a fact. If my if money got stolen out of my bank, business or personal doesn't matter, and I know it wasn't me, I know in Australia I can call my bank and they will refund me the money. That is it. But again, in this crypto land, the lines aren't super clear just yet, and I think that's what I'm trying to understand is that's probably people's apprehension. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're we're keep working on it to get more more influence and get more people involved in it. And then the uh, most of the government will come with uh, regulations, right? Because implement new regulations, also implement new tools of investigation. It costs the uh, the uh, public money. And if you're trying to uh, solving a problem with a bigger scale, which means the cost is worth it, right? If it's not, I think up until today, uh, cryptocurrency market size it's very very small. Okay, it's only about. One percent of the uh, of uh, uh, U.S. stock and share market. So it's a small market. It's a small market cap, and uh, the facilities themselves is still remain the scale that today's crypto market is. But once the the scale of the market actually growing bigger, okay, they, ha- they actually have the uh, the ability to to facilitate the safety procedures, also to facilitate governments with more regulations because all these costs will come back to the trading. Okay. Well, like I said, it's probably just going to take adoption. It's awareness. It's having conversations like this to get people to understand, uh, pull it back to basics, not getting too technical with terminology, understanding where the risks are and understanding the mechanisms and how it works. What does this mean for people? What does this mean for evolution? So yeah, really appreciate your time today, Kevin, and uh, sort of un veiling i think a few thoughts that people would have out there because i still think it's a new space that people aren't familiar with and people are dubious of these types of things so like i said i wanted to bring you on the show today to uncover a few questions that people had so thanks very much for your time and uh really looking forward to uh seeing how the crypto market evolves thank you so much for the time and i'm glad to always glad to share my experience thanks for tuning in We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. 
This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.